Coming up on Philosophy Talk, Mexican philosophy. Where does it even start? Does it start with Spanish colonization, or do we include indigenous thought from prior to that period? Long before Mexico was a country, philosophy was alive and well in the region. What kinds of thinking do we do under colonialism and under the Baroque or golden era of Spanish colonization? Liberalism, Catholicism, existentialism, all schools of Mexican philosophy. Independence movements, what is it to create and form a new country to begin to ask questions about how should you self-organize? How can Mexican philosophy shed light on questions we face today? You get up to the 20th century where there's an explosion of people trying to liberate themselves from the oppressive history of a bad version of liberalism as it unfolded. What does the history of philosophy look like if you're standing in Mexico City rather than Munich? These are the things, I think, that emerge in that kind of history. Our guest is Manuel Vargas from UC San Diego. Mexican philosophy. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. What's distinctive about Mexican philosophy? How can it help us live better lives? Does it speak with one voice or in a complicated harmony across the centuries? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Land. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today, we're thinking about Mexican philosophy. Oh yeah, Mexican philosophy. There's so many great ideas in there, Ray. Uh, Sir Juana's feminism, Emilio Aranga's existentialism, all that fascinating stuff from the Aztecs and Mayans. Well, yeah, Josh, I like all that too, but why are we lumping all those things together? Do they really have anything significant in common other than coming from the same part of the world? I don't get what your problem is, Ray. I mean, it seems like you're singling out Mexican philosophy, but we talk about Greek philosophy, German philosophy, and even, God help us, French philosophy. Why shouldn't we talk about Mexican philosophy? Yeah, but when people say Greek philosophy or German philosophy, they're talking about one really specific set of conversations. They're really thinking about, like, certain discussions that took place in ancient Athens or, like, one kind of idealism from 19th century Prussia. But you're talking about a tradition that stretches over millennia and ranges all the way from ancient theology to postmodernism. Okay, but it's still a tradition. Those voices are often in conversation with one another, and they've pretty much been neglected around here. It's time to get them back in the conversation. Well, yeah, I agree with that. Thinkers from that part of the world have made some really important contributions. Like in the 1500s, how Bartolomé de las Casas used Aristotle to critique the colonial practice of enslaving indigenous people. Wait, 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 wait. Didn't Aristotle think that some people are natural slaves born to serve others? How could you possibly use that idea for liberation? Well, Aristotle says that if people are rational, you can't just force them to do things. you got to reason with them. And Las Casas argued that indigenous people in the Americas were rational. And Las Casas actually won the day. He got his colonial contemporaries thinking about ethics and the rights of native people. Well, maybe, but he didn't stop them from, you know, killing them and stealing their land. Well, yeah, he wrote about that, too. His short account of the destruction of the Indies is this hard-hitting critique of the invasion and its brutality. That's true, and that tradition of philosophizing about freedom just kept on going. In the early 19th century, for example, Miguel Hidalgo, leader of the War of Independence, used Enlightenment ideas to argue for Mexican autonomy. Yeah, but how successful were they really? And they didn't get separation of church and state written into their constitution, did they? No, but the constitution did at least abolish the monarchy and protect the freedom of the press. And Mexico outlawed slavery shortly after that in 1829. Yeah, that's true. And Mexican philosophers didn't stop there. 
in the 20th century, you had these Mexican existentialists, you know, people like Emilio Uranga, calling for an even more radical kind of freedom. That's true. Uranga had that really cool theory about Mexicanness, right? He said, Europeans, they're always criticizing Mexican thinkers for being full of resentment, melancholy, angst. But these things help us understand our fundamental existential predicament. And so make us more human. Europeans should be more like Mexicans, not the other way around. Mexico also had a bunch of advocates for women's freedom, like the writer and poet Rosario Castellanos. One of her characters says, it's not good enough to imitate others. It isn't even enough to discover who we are. We have to invent ourselves. See what I mean, Ray? It really is one conversation stretching all the way across the centuries. It's a conversation about freedom. Okay, Josh, but we just looked at a few examples. I bet Mexican philosophers have contributed a ton of other stuff to other philosophical conversations that we haven't even touched on yet. Yeah, and I'm sure our guest will tell us all about them. It's Manuel Vargas, co-director of the Mexican Philosophy Lab at UC San Diego and author of the forthcoming book, Mexican Philosophy. Manuel's also been teaching a hugely popular class on Latin American philosophy. It's a subject an increasing number of students are getting interested in. So we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to find out what Mexican philosophy means to students at a community college near the U.S. southern border. She files this report. In the United States, philosophy is overwhelmingly white and male. When you think of philosophy, you always think of the white European men. You don't really think of these brown kids from the border really having any sort of impact. Manuela Gomez is one of the few women in philosophy and one of even fewer Mexican-American women in the field. She's a professor at El Paso Community College and the founder of the El Paso Philosophy Club. I like to think that we create and participate in pragmatic projects that really have impact inside and outside of the classroom. Many students at the college cross a bridge from Mexico to the U.S., and the club aims to show how philosophy exists outside an elitist academic bubble. On one side, we have Ciudad Juarez being labeled one of the most dangerous cities in the world uh, because of its drug war, because of its medical violence, femicides, etc. And then El Paso, Texas, as one of the safest. The club is democratic, too. Members put ideas they want to talk about into a box, then choose at random. They research the topic and come prepared to discuss it. One time, they discussed the philosophy of traffic. Because somebody got to the meeting late, and to justify them being late, they were just putting it in as a joke. And then it ended up being selected. That turned into a discussion about the role of government in mobility and navigation, especially around the border. And to us, it was a fascinating discussion because my students cross a physical bridge every day from Juarez to El Paso and vice versa. And sometimes it may take three hours to cross, sometimes it takes five minutes. And that's a reality to us. Like the philosophy of traffic is something we never thought would be relevant. At another meeting, they were reading Plato, talking about platonic love, and someone made a joke about not having a date on Valentine's Day. And then the conversation led to, I mean, but do you really need a date? And is that really what Plato is talking about? And then we figured out, no. In fact, we're discovering that there's this more elevated and multidimensional type of love. And then from there, and this was the student's idea, why don't we all on Valentine's Day get together and have these random acts of kindness where we spread the love. They talk about the philosophy of race and racism and moral responsibility. And in the last decade, they've raised over $40,000 in philanthropic projects. After the mass shooting at a Walmart in El Paso in 2019, members called an emergency meeting. Where we talked about what does that mean to us? Like, how do we recover from this? 
The club draws people outside the philosophy major too, like Jesus Guerrero, a former president of the club. He was finishing his bachelor's in biology with a chemistry minor when he joined. Obviously, it was completely different from what I was used to from just hard sciences, and I just fell in love with the project and how much we were involved in the community. That's what motivated me to stay with the organization for so long. Daniel Avitia, another former president, said the club has helped him realize how relevant philosophy can be to understanding his community. Being a first-generation student here in the United States, my parents uh, migrated to the U.S. and now living at the border, I, I see how migration is a topic that I specifically have like a personal uh, relationship with, but also, you know, it's present in my community. Borders are a big theme in the El Paso Philosophy Club. Geopolitical borders, borders in academia and in philosophy, and what it means to cross them. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.